If you have a Bible, I can encourage you to turn to Romans 1, as we look at it from verse 24 to 32 together. Under the title today, Handed Over. Handed Over. Last week we were considering how God has revealed Himself to all mankind through His work of creation. The world around us displays God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature. The world around us cries out with a loud voice. We have a glorious, wise, powerful, and good Creator. That is the message of the world that has been made. But sadly, last week's passage also spoke of how mankind has become so foolish and has rejected and suppressed the truth about God and instead directed their worship to other things. And God's wrath moves in response to this. Because of this rebellion, because of this rejection of him and his truth, God comes in wrath. And today we're going to look a bit further at this subject of God's wrath being worked out, not in the judgment at the end of the age, that's for another sermon, but it's God's wrath being worked out in the world around us today. And this can be summarized in this passage with the repeated phrase in verse 24, 26, and 28, God gave them up. Or in some translations, it's translated as God handed them over. And basically what is happening is that God is saying to a world that rejects him, that rejects his truth, well, you really want to go your own path of sin? Okay, I'm taking off my hand of restraint. I'm going to let you go deeper into sin and let you endure the consequences of going your own way. God allowing sinful mankind to go our own way, to go deeper into the ways of sin, is one of the greatest judgments that can ever upon us. So let's think about how this has worked out and how we are handed over to different things here in Romans 1. And first of all, we are handed over to the lusts of the heart in verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Human beings, because we are sinners, we need to be protected from ourselves. We need to be protected from the unclean desires of our corrupted hearts. The following of our sinful desires leads, we're told here, to the dishonoring or the degrading of our bodies, the dishonoring and degrading of who we are as human beings. And we always need to remember the greatest enemy we face is not one who is out there, but the one who is there in each of our hearts. The sin which spoils, twists, perverts every part of our being. Sin works through us, through every aspect of who we are. And the double whammy spoken of here in this verse 24 is that we have sin within us and we mix among a people who are equally sinful in their hearts also. And this means the capability of evil among us and in us is frightening. 
particularly if God's restraining hand is taken off. Now, Paul, after saying that, he returns to the reason why God hands him over to to these sinful desires in verse 25. He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And Paul is emphasizing that this exchanging the truth of God for a a lie about God and a lie about the world, a lie about ourselves, this exchanging the truth for a lie to worship and serve the things of the world rather than our loving Creator who has given us everything, that to do this is a terrible, it is a shocking thing to do. And I think that's why he repeats this. He said this earlier in this chapter, and he repeats again because he is shocked when he thinks of how horrendous this sin is to reject the loving God who has made us and given us every good thing. And if you look at this verse, Paul can't even speak of God here as creator without bursting out into praise. He says, the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He just can't think of what God has done in the work of creation, what God has done for him as a person. He just can't think about that without bursting out with praise to this great God. The problem is, is that the world has lost sight of the awesome glory, the infinite wisdom, the immeasurable goodness of God, the Creator, who they have rejected. They fail, the world fails to see the, the travesty, the, the terrible betrayal of what they have done. I think in many ways the nearest picture we can get across to that is, is if someone, a, a mother, has poured her whole life and has sacrificed herself for her child, for their education, has gone without herself for the good of her child, and then when they become a young adult, they just don't want to have anything to do with their mother anymore. I think that's the nearest equivalent that we can have. But what we're talking about here in the betrayal of God is on a much greater scale because of who God is. I've used this illustration before. I used it at the Brook Cafe again Thursday about if a, a little boy hits his sister, he gets into a certain amount of trouble. If he hits his mum, he gets into more trouble. If he hits a policeman, he gets into more trouble. If he hits the King of England, as we have now, if he hits the King of England, he will get into more trouble. Now, why does he get into more trouble? The action is the same, but the seriousness grows as the greatness of the person he does it against grows. And it's because we have sinned against a God whose greatness is beyond measure that indeed we deserve a punishment that's beyond measure. I wonder has what has happened to Paul here happened to you where Paul has moved from someone who was a a God-rejecter to someone here who is captivated by the wonder and the greatness of the God who made him. Have you a heart of worship for this God? So that's the first point, to hand it over to the lusts of the heart. And then secondly, we see here about handed over to dishonorable passions in verse 26 
and 27. It says here, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Now, this passage is very clear. It's very obvious. The dishonorable passions that God has given these people up to are immoral sexual relationships. And particularly what are singled out are sexual relationships of women with women and men with men. Now, some have tried to somehow twist this passage to argue away this passage, basically by arguing that a blackbird is white. And some have come to that, but there's no getting away from it. This is so clear. People are wriggling and twisting, trying to deny the plain teaching of God's Word here, which clearly condemns all lesbian and homosexual sexual relationships. Now, LGBT issues are very often discussed in society today. Let's be clear. And all I'm going to do here is to be clear of what the Bible teaches on this issue. What does God say on this issue? Three things. The first thing is that homosexual activity is part of God's judgment. Now, there are many different sins which come to people as a consequence of God handing people over to their sinful desires, and homosexuality is one of these sins that comes about. Letting people engage in homosexuality is taught here is a part of God punishing a world that has rejected him. In speaking of those who commit these homosexual acts, Paul says at the end there of verse 27, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, homosexuality may be portrayed by some, portrayed as something wonderfully liberating. But in the end, the Bible teaches clearly, like all sin, it sadly, terribly enslaves people. Homosexuality itself is not a freedom. It's part of God's judgment on this sinful world that has rejected him. The second thing is taught here is that homosexual activity is dishonorable. This is the very word that Paul uses at the beginning of verse 26. Homosexual actions are dishonorable actions which come from dishonorable passions. Now, we're very aware of the phrase gay pride, and folk involved in that see their homosexual activity as something to be celebrated. But what they're trying to do is to, they're trying to justify and glorify that which God clearly says is shameful and dishonoring to them. And I believe that many of these people who engage in these gay pride parades deep down, will be aware that what they're doing is wrong. And they're trying to run away from the truth. 
And I believe that's one of the things behind this campaign, which is hitting us left, right, and center. You can't even look at a football match hardly now or anything else without a rainbow banner or arm banner or something. What they're trying to do is they do not want any voices of dissent to their position. And I believe part of the problem is that deep down, they know this is not right. It is not right before God. Thirdly, homosexual activity is contrary to nature. Look at the end of verse 26, what he says there. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise give up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts. Now, natural sexual relationships have been clearly defined by God in Genesis 1 and 2 as being between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Sexual relationships of men with men and women with women go against the natural order as created by God. But what then about the common objection that is made by some people that they're born homosexual and therefore homosexual activity is natural to them? Sam Albury, you see we picture coming up with Sam. Sam's a, an Anglican uh, minister in England. And Sam Albury himself, uh, at the age of about 18, around the time he became a Christian, was aware that he was beginning to have same-sex attraction. He'll never use the word gay about himself. He'll never say he is. But he does have same-sex attraction. He's attracted to men as other men might be to women. And so, this is something that has been real in his life since he was a teenager. And I remember Sam believes that indeed that it would be wrong for him to follow through on those desires. He's not married, and he believes that to have homosexual activity is contrary to the Word of God. Sam was over here. He was very helpful in helping to uh, do different meetings for ministers and how we deal and respond to these situations pastorally. And I asked Sam that very question, which I asked you, uh, which I put up earlier. What about people who say that they're born this way? Well, Sam says, whether or not they are born that way, he says, we need to understand who we are. In the light of Genesis 1 and 2, the account of creation, but also in the light of Genesis chapter 3, the account of sin and corruption that has come from it. And the reason why people have homosexual desires is because they have been corrupted by sin. Now, we need to be clear here. We all have different sinful desires. We all have different desires which are wrong and which we should not follow through on. Sinful desires because we all have been corrupted by sin. Every single one of us are messed up by sin. Every single one of us. And the reason why we have wrong desires is because of that. Now, people who have 
homosexual desires are not a particular group who are different and who are particularly evil in any way. They're not particularly evil in any way. What we need to remember, in this world, there are two types of people, two groups of people. First of all, there are those who are corrupted sinners, and we all were in that group at one time. But secondly, there are those who are corrupted sinners who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the two types of people in this world. And we all begin in group one, but I hope by God's grace we move to group two. We're all corrupted. We're all messed up. We're all spoiled by sin. And we'll see in the next point a bit more of that which applies to all of us. There are people who have never had homosexual desires who are in both groups. There are people who have had homosexual desires who are also in both groups. So it's not of any means that a person who's homosexual cannot be redeemed. They can be redeemed, and that's wonderful. We all need to be redeemed from our sin. We all have been corrupted, and we all need Jesus. This brings us to our third point, which is handed over to a debased mind in verses 28 to 32. In verse 28, Paul says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, it's important to realize that in this giving up or this handing over by God to these sinful desires, God never causes people to sin. God is never the author of sin. The Bible teaches that. And what God is doing here is allowing people to go where their natural, because of sin, fallen desires wish them to go. People who are rejecting God, he says, you want to go in sin? Okay, go into your sin. Now, the word here, debased, in regards to the mind, it means a mind that's unapproved, unacceptable, worthless before God. It's a mind that has been messed up by sin. Again, it just reminds us the problem is never out there, the biggest problem we face, the problem is always within us. And we see in verses 29 to 31 here a list of sins which this debased mind leads to. And it's important as we see this description that we realize we're not speaking just of the world that's out there. Yes, it helps us understand the world out there, but we're speaking about what is true of our own hearts, of our own selves. And even if we have been redeemed by Jesus, there still remains a seeds of all these sins within us. Now, let's look at this, and this is not pleasant, but this is what we have to be faithful to Scripture. Let's look at these verses together. Verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, not being right before God, evil, covetousness, always wanting what others have. Malice. It's a bitterness towards others. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Love to talk about others and put them down. Slanderous, harm people's names. Haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful. Inventors of evil, 
disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, if you're filling in a CV or an application for a job, I don't think you get too far. If they ask you what you're like, you give down this list. But this is a mirror showing us what is within us because of sin. Remember, these sins flourish as a consequence of rejecting God and His truth. And the further we get away from God means the further we get from His restraining influence, the deeper we'll go into these sins and the more obvious these sins will become in our lives and in the society around us. But the flip side of that is also true, which is encouraging. The wonderful news is as we return to God, as we get closer to God and His truth, as we have hearts transformed by proper worship of God, then God deadens the drive of these sins in our lives. So if you go away from God, these sins will have free reign. As you come back and get closer to God, we'll have a deadening impact in those sins. I'm speaking here for, for Christians. The closer we are to God, the deadening impact we'll have on these sins which are lurking within us. It's like a, a garden of weeds, and we have to constantly be keeping them down. And the way we keep them down is by getting closer and closer to Jesus. The final verse of this chapter reminds us that what we're dealing with here as we think of these sins is something so serious. It's not something to be trifled with. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. What Paul is saying is that deep down, no matter how people might object, there is an awareness in their hearts of their guilt before God. Even if they try to suppress it, their conscience still speaks. They try and deaden it. They try to shut out that voice, but their conscience is still speaking. You're guilty before God. This isn't right. And you'll suffer for this. The debased mind. Let's recap what we have thought about. The three things people handed over to the lusts of the heart, to dishonorable passions, to a debased mind. Now, this isn't very encouraging, is it? This isn't very hopeful, is it? But let's go back to verse 16. You remember what Paul says there? He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And it's in it's because of what he now shares about the wrath of God and the sin of people. That's why he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's why he basically said, I rejoice in the gospel. I boast in the gospel because we are a messed up people. We live in a messed up world. And Jesus, through what he has done on the cross, Jesus in his grace, he is the answer. But we have to see what the problem is. We have to accept the sin that we have in our hearts and then flee to Jesus. I think what this chapter does, it it's just hammers human pride. 
that we are something wonderful ourselves. What this chapter is yelling out is you're guilty, hell-deserving sinners. Let's remember the words of John Newton in the film Amazing Grace. He says, I'm an old man. I'm blind. I can't see. But two things I know. One, I'm a great sinner. But two, Jesus is a great Savior. As Paul says in Romans, he has died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And let me finish with just a few verses from what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. He says this here. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The bad news. Let's go on the good news. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We're messed up sinners, but we're not messed up sinners who are beyond the reach of a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has the power to save and transform. And our cry should be, hallelujah, what a Savior.